Well, just as I was preparing for this, uh, this message today, I was reminded, taken back about 30 years, uh, when Gail and I, we'd been married just a couple of years, and we drove up to Victoria Falls, and uh, in our brave youth, decided that we were going to do the whitewater rafting. And so we did, I think, up to Rapid 18, we did like a whole day thing. And uh, I was just reminded of, we went through Rapid number 6, and we were still sort of trying to get our breath. And the guide that was in the raft with us began to talk to us about the next Rapid. And he said, you know, we're going to go to the right, and then once we go through that, we're going to have to go left, so you all need to be ready to take us there. And uh, he started to describe this rapid to us and prepare us mentally for what we were going to go through as we went through rapid number seven. And I just, as I thought about that particular uh, time in our lives, I, was, I, I thought it applies so much to what we're needing to do today. Because we've gone through chapter one to chapter six of the book of Hebrews, and we're about to go into chapter seven. And... I really just felt in my heart the need for us just to prepare our minds for what we're going into, for getting ready to really delve into some deep things in Scripture in chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10, uh, because the writer of Hebrews is going to take us into uh, a real journey into the Old Testament. And for many of us, the Old Testament is something that uh, is sort of a, a dark book, you know, you, you read the books like Leviticus and, and all the books of the law and you, all you see is a butcher shop, uh, people hanging up meat everywhere and, you know, it can be a bit confusing. But the writer of the Hebrews is going to take us back into that and he's going to ex open it to us. And he's going to show us how through the writings of the Old Testament, we see Christ and we see the plan of redemption. And so today, I just felt there's a need for us just to prepare our minds for what we're going to embark on as we get into these chapters. To prepare our minds to be invested, fully invested, in receiving everything that the book of Hebrews is going to give us in these, uh, the chapters that we're going to be going into. And so today, I'm going to be doing things a little bit different. And I want to start by reading a statement that Paul made in 1 Corinthians. Okay, it's a statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and you may say, well, what has this got to do with the book of Hebrews? You will, you'll find out as we go along. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5 to 6. So let me just read it to you. Is it up on the screen? Yes, it is. Paul makes this statement. He says, for although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, and these are all things that people would call God and would worship around the world that he's talking about in verse 5. He carries on in verse 6, he says, Yet, in the midst of all these gods, for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. And so we see here in verse 6, Paul's talking here about the God of Israel. He's talking about the God of Israel who stands apart 
from all these other gods, completely separated from them, incomparable to them, and he calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel. Why does he call himself that? The one who created all things, why does he call himself the God of Israel? That is, why is he known by that name? Why did he say to Moses when he appeared to Moses in the burning bush, I will be known forever as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Well, the answer is quite simple. It's because out of all the nations of the earth, God chose Israel to be his own special nation. And so he identifies himself with this nation, this tiny little nation in the middle of the earth called Israel. He is the God of Israel. And he chose this one little nation, and he chose to make covenant with them, and to reveal himself to them. And it was to this little nation that he gave the scriptures. All the other nations were left to walk in darkness without a knowledge of God and His ways. And they're the ones that were worshipping all the gods that Paul describes here in verse 5. They were worshipping all these other gods. And so if you get the picture, we can put up the next slide. If you can just put up the next slide there. If you can get the picture, you've got Israel in the middle here. And you can see the light and the revelation of God shining upon that one nation as God reveals himself to that nation and gives that nation the scriptures. And all around in darkness, you have all the other nations and they're all worshiping their false gods. They're all worshiping idols and they have no knowledge of the one true God, the one that we call Father. So that's the way it was for thousands of years. All the nations in darkness and God revealing himself to this one nation, Israel, and giving this one nation his word. Okay? So 2,000 years ago, this all began to change. And maybe you can just put up the next slide. This all began to change. What happened 2,000 years ago? Jesus Christ rose from the dead, appeared to his apostles, and he said to them, go into all the world and make disciples, preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. Tell them about me. What was he doing? He was taking the revelation that God had given to Israel over the thousands of years before, and he was saying to them, take that revelation to all the nations. And everything began to change. The light that God had given to Israel was now being dispersed through into all the world. Isn't that quite an incredible picture? Do you know that wherever the scriptures have been preached since that time, God's light has come. And a revelation of this incomparable God who created all things has been brought to those people. Today we stand in a, a place in history where 
the scriptures have been taken to virtually every nation in the world. There may be a few languages, I'm not sure of the number, where the Bible has not yet been translated. But, for the most part, we live in a completely different time to what Paul lived in. To what people before Christ lived in. Why? Because we have this book. And we have in this book, the scriptures, the very word of God that he authored. And he authored it through many scribes who literally wrote down what he gave them. Do you know God is the author of this book? And do you know that in this book we have the revelation that God over about 2,000 years gave to Israel. That's how valuable this book is. God has preserved it and He's placed it in our hands. And in this one book, and in this one book alone, we have the revelation of God. Take this book away. None of us would be sitting here today. If it wasn't for what is in here, none of us would know God today. We would all be walking in darkness. We would be worshipping these other gods, these idols, these creations of our own hands and our own imaginations. But because we've received this book and the words in this book and the knowledge that it gives, our lives have been transformed. Our eyes have been opened. And we've come to know and to believe in the one true God. If it wasn't for this, not a single person would know who He is. And so why am I saying this today? Because in this one book is the full and complete revelation of who God is, of what God is like, of how we relate to God, of salvation, of God's ways, of everything that we need to know about God. And about life and about ourselves is contained in this one book. Do you know that we don't need anything outside of this book to know God? In fact, do you know that anything that comes from outside of this book is going to lead us away from God? And is going to lead us to other gods, to creations of our own minds and imaginations? You may be asking, well, why is he telling us this? And for some of you, you may be saying, well, I, what, this is, I know this. This is nothing new to me. The reason I'm saying this is because there is a strong movement in the world today. A very powerful influence that's working in the church as well as in the world. And what is this influence? What is it seeking to do? It's seeking to cause people to abandon this book. To no longer study this book. To no longer value this book and what's written in it. We live in a generation where fewer Christians are reading the Bible than I think in previous generations. I remember my grandmother, and I think I may have shared this with you before. 
where my grandmother said to me when I was about 18 years old, she said, you know, Trevor, there's one thing that concerns me about your generation. They're not reading their Bibles. And she was referring to Christians of my generation. They're not reading their Bibles. And if that was true then, I look at it today and I think it's even more true today. Why? Because of this influence that's sweeping through the world trying to demean this book. Trying to say it's no longer relevant to us. Trying to make out that it's unreliable. That it's not true. And you know what people are doing? And I'm talking about Christians. They're taking this book. And they're putting it on their shelves. And they're seeking a knowledge of God from sources outside this book. This influence is trying to bring about in people's minds an idea of a mystical God. A mystical Jesus. Someone that we can only know through feelings and sentiment and pictures in our minds and imaginations in our heart. That's the way we, we understand God and that's the way we know what He's saying. And this book gets put aside. That's the first reason why I'm saying what I'm saying today. It's because as we embark on this study and we continue on in this study, as we continue on as a church, our commitment is to this book. We're 100% committed to preaching and teaching what is in here and nothing else and doing it without compromise without watering it down, bringing it as it has been given over those thousands of years by God to Israel and from Israel to the nations of the earth. We're absolutely committed because we believe that this book is the truth. Our desire as a church must be to understand what is written in here. We can never have an attitude towards this book where it's like, that's too much like hard work. I don't really want to know what's in here. We need to be fully invested into studying the scriptures. And as we go into chapter 7 next week, and as we continue through the book of Hebrews, this is what it's going to require of us. If we're going to get out of this letter what God has put into it, we have to commit ourselves to really studying this word we have to have our minds prepared set in place ready for what lies ahead and so that's why i'm sharing these things to you today because we don't want to miss anything and as we get into chapter 7 and we get into chapter 8 and 9 and 10 some of the stuff that's going to be shared there if you're not familiar with the old testament might seem a bit confusing and as we lead you in it, if your heart and mind is fully devoted and fully committed to understanding, I have no doubt that there is going to be a wealth of the understanding and knowledge of God, His plan of redemption, who Jesus is, what He's done for us, that today we don't have. So this is why I'm just sharing a little bit differently today, because 
I believe we need to be preparing ourselves for what lies ahead. And it's a mental preparation. It's a preparation of our hearts so that we do not miss out on what God has got for us. As we go into chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10, it's going to be full of quotations from the Old Testament, full of references to things that took place in the Old Testament. It's going to be full of Jewish religion, history, and notions. And as I said, things that most of us are pretty unfamiliar with. But if we will pay attention, if we will commit ourselves to it, we're going to gain some of that light. We're going to gain what God has given to Israel and what He sent from Israel to us. So this is why I thought it was necessary just to do what I'm doing today. This is a preparation for what is coming. And do you know that the writer to, to the Hebrews, do you know that he thought exactly the same as this? In fact, this is where I got the idea from. I looked at what he had done in his letter and I asked the question, why has he done this? Let me just show you in the next slide if you can put that up. You see, what happens is the writer comes through, he comes through up to chapter 5. And then in chapter 5, he introduces the subject, a new subject. What is the subject? Well, we can see right there, verse 10, he begins to talk about God designating his son to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. So he makes the statement that he's been designated as priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, many of you are sitting there saying, what on earth does that mean? What is Melchizedek? Who is Melchizedek? Well, we're going to find out. So he introduces the subject and then look at the next verse, verse 11. He says about this, this subject, we have much to say and it is hard to explain. So the writer is introducing the subject and then he's looking at the people that he's writing to and he's saying, I'm not sure you're ready for this yet. I'm not sure that you're able to really understand what I'm wanting to say. And I'm trying to think on how I'm going to explain it to you. And I'm struggling because I just don't think that you prepared for it. And so he makes that statement. And then for another 23 verses, he rebukes them for spiritual stagnation. He exhorts them to move on to maturity. He warns about apostasy. He encourages them towards earnestness and faith and patience. And then he begins to tell us and teach us about God's oath. You may wonder, what on earth is he trying to do? Why is he suddenly starting to talk about God's oath? God's swearing something. It is all connected to the subject of God designating Jesus to be our high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And we will see as we get into chapter 7, we will see what, why he talks about this oath. And so for these 23 verses, he is preparing them getting them mentally ready for what he's going to be teaching them. And then if you look at the very end of chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, what does he do? He comes back and he comes back to the subject. He says, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then you'll see in chapter 7, he begins to talk about what this all means. So do you see how the writer introduces the subject? And then he pauses and he prepares for us to really understand the subject. And so that's why 
I'm doing what I'm doing today. I'm just following his cue. So he brings up the subject of Jesus being the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Why did he pause? What do you think it was for? Remember, he was a Jew writing to Jews. Why did he pause? These Jews that he was writing to were very familiar with the Old Testament. And yet he still didn't feel like they were ready for what he was going to share. How much more us? Many of us very unfamiliar maybe with the Old Testament. Very unfamiliar with the things that he's going to say. And so this is why I just keep stressing it. The importance for us to be fully invested as we continue this study. Fully invested in uh, um, our minds to do and to gain what he has wanting to give us. Okay? Now let's just ask ourselves this. Why was it that the writer to the Hebrews thought it was so important that we understand Jesus' high priestly ministry? Do you know it's going to take him four chapters? He's going to be, in the next four chapters, he's going to be talking about Jesus' high priestly ministry. Do you know that the book of Hebrews is the only book in the New Testament that talks about Jesus as high priest? Paul mentions him being an intercessor. The Apostle John mentions him being an advocate. But if you look through the New Testament, you will not see any other letter in the New Testament that speaks about Jesus being the high priest. And so this is one of the great themes of this letter. In fact, the writer introduces it, as we'll see in a moment, right back in chapter 2. And throughout this letter, he's constantly referring back to Jesus being the high priest, our high priest. So this letter, one of the great purposes of this letter, is to give this revelation, this understanding of what it means for Jesus to be our high priest. What it means to us. That he is this high priest that God has designated in the order of Melchizedek. And so the writer does not want any one of us, just as like he didn't want any of his readers at that time, to miss out on this incredible revelation that he's writing this letter about. So let's just have a look at, I just want to go back and I want to remind you of what we've already seen why Jesus' high priest ministry, high priestly ministry is so important. Okay? And then as we continue on in the next chapters, we, it's going to be, these things are going to be built on and expounded and expanded. Alright, so let's have a look at, first of all, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17. This is the first time he introduces this whole subject of Jesus being high priest. So it didn't take him very long before he got to it. Look at what it says there. Therefore, that's Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Do you see what the writer is saying here? The reason Jesus, the Son of God, the, 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 the one who was with God in the beginning, became a man, had to become a man, was so that he could become high priest. 
This is the only place in Scripture, this book, where we, we understand this. He came into this world. He was born of a virgin with this supreme purpose so that he could become high priest. And notice also that him being high priest and being made high priest is essential for him to be able to deal with our sins. If Jesus wasn't high priest, he could never deal with our sins. He had to become a man so that he could be the high priest, so that he could deal with our sins and make atonement for our sins. All right, so this is the first reason why this subject of Jesus' high priestly ministry is so important. Let's look at the next one, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. This is the next time that the writer brings this subject up. He says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What do we see in these verses? Jesus' high priestly ministry is the reason for us to hold fast to our confession of faith, our confession of hope. And it's also the reason that we can approach God's grace with confidence. If there was no high priest seated at the right hand of God today, representing us in His presence, we would have no reason for confidence, no reason for assurance of salvation, no assurance that we could even approach God, in fact, no way into the presence of God at all. We would be locked out of God's presence, locked out of His blessings, locked out of salvation forever. It's the reason, the reason we have that is because Jesus has entered into the presence of God. He's passed through the heavens to represent us in God's presence. When you come and pray, do you ever picture that in your mind? Jesus seated in the very presence of God, having made atonement for our sins, representing us in His presence. And it's because of that representation in His presence that we have confidence to come before the throne of grace. Isn't that amazing? Let's look at the next one. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 9 to 10. It says, And being made perfect, Jesus became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So what does that tell us? Do you see how the writer in this verse, these two verses, is linking salvation for those who obey Jesus to his high priestly ministry? He's become the source of salvation, having been made a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. If he hadn't been made high priest, if he wasn't our high priest, there would be no salvation for any of us. Are you seeing just how central this whole idea of Jesus as our high priest is in the plan of redemption 
the plan of, that God has devised from before the foundation of the world for our salvation. Let's look at the, the next one, the last passage. Hebrews, 9, sorry, Hebrews 6 verse 19 to 20. Hebrews 6 verse 19 to 20. He says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. You may say, what is that word this referring to? Well, in previous verses, he's just been talking about God's oath. And we will see as we get into chapter 7 what he's talking about there. We have this, God's oath, as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Now some of you may be saying, what on earth is he talking about? This inner place behind the curtain. Well, once again, as we get into the next chapters, the writer's going to explain it in full for us. He's going to take us back into the Old Testament and he's going to let us see exactly what he's meaning here. And then he says this, where Jesus has gone. Where Jesus has gone. So Jesus has gone into this inner place that's behind the curtain and he's gone as a forerunner on our behalf. As our representative. And then it says, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What does he say once again? The reason that we can have this sure, steadfast hope, this anchor for our souls, is because Jesus is our high priest. Isn't that an incredible thought? Because he's a high priest. And notice he says here, forever. Forever. And in chapter 7, he's going to expand on this. And he's going to show us what this means. We have a high priest who has entered into the very holy place of God. Behind that curtain, that veil. And he's gone there for us, on our behalf. And he's representing us. As I've preached in crusades and meetings around this nation, I often say this to people. Do you know that today, seated at the right hand of God, the creator of all things, seated at the right hand of God, is a man. Jesus is a man. He became fully one of us. Fully one of us. Not just part man and part God. Fully man, fully God. Holy man, holy God. And as a man, he died on the cross for our sins. And as a man, he was raised from the dead. And as a man, he ascended into heaven in full view of all his followers. And he was glorified and seated at God's right hand. And he's there today with scars in his hands, in his feet, in his side. Representing us. Isn't that an incredible thought? Isn't it an incredible thought that there is a man ruling the universe today at God's right hand? God has taken all authority and given it to him. He has placed everything in his hands. He's made him the king of kings and the lord of lords. He is the ruler, the governor of the universe. And he's a man. And the man that has all authority 
even the angels are in subjection to him, is representing us as high priest before God. I don't know about you, but when I contemplate this, I mean, this is such a deep and wide truth, such an incredible and amazing truth. It staggers me a bit. I mean, my mind is working to try and just get my head around this. But this is the reality. This is the revelation that God has given to us through the scriptures, through thousands of years. He has painted this incredible picture in the Old Testament. It's like a, a puzzle where you have all these different pieces and through a couple of thousand years he's been taking these pieces and he's been putting them into position through the writings of the prophets and the writing of the scribes. And, and at the end of it, when we look at the Old Testament and we understand this, we have this picture there of Jesus. We have this picture there of the whole plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. Every part coming through Isaiah and through Jeremiah and through Ezekiel and through Moses and all these different writers and prophets have all worked together under the, the inspiration of God and His Spirit to paint this incredible picture of what we know today to be true in Jesus Christ. And that's what the book of Hebrews teaches us. It's one of the great things it teaches us. It shows us how God in His infinite wisdom has through thousands of years given us this full picture of everything that Jesus Christ is. And then He sent His Son to fulfill it. Isn't that wonderful? So you may still be, your brains may still be working a little bit trying to understand and grasp this. Let me just make this statement. In fact, I don't know, could you just go to the very, the opening slide? I just want to show this statement that was made by Augustine. And then we're going to close. The very first slide, the, the, the was it, is it not there? Okay, do you, do you know the statement off by heart? Because I, I might misquote it slightly. Okay. In the, let me give you the gist of it. Okay, In the Old Testament, the gospel is contained. The whole gospel is in the Old Testament. Even if you didn't have the New Testament, you would still have the gospel. So what has the New Testament been given for? It's been given so that we can understand the Old Testament and we can see the truth of the gospel in it. And that's what the writer to Hebrews is going to be doing in the coming chapters. He's going to be taking us back into the Old Testament and he's going to be saying, do you see this? Do you see this? Do you see this? Do you see this? And then he's going to be saying, that's fulfilled in Jesus. That's fulfilled in Jesus. That's a picture of what Jesus was going to do. If you can see and understand that, you see and understand what Jesus has done for us. Does that make it a little bit clearer? Well, if it's as clear as mud, I believe that by the time we're through, it will be better. And the mud will be taken away. So let's just pray and let's just commit ourselves today. And let's ask the Lord for His help. That as we continue on in this study, that we would get everything that God intends for us. We'd have this incredible revelation of who God is. This incredible revelation of what He's done for us. This incredible revelation of who Jesus is and what He's done for us. So let's pray. Father, I want to thank you today. 
that we've been able to just take a little bit of time, just one Sunday to prepare our hearts and minds for the incredible truths that you are going to begin revealing through the letter to Hebrews in the coming weeks. Father, we pray today that you would help each and every one of us to fully grasp these incredible truths that you're going to be revealing to us. I pray for Ian and myself, Lord, as we teach, that you would enable us by your Spirit to explain and to expound these things that we are going to be reading. Father, help us all to prepare our hearts. May our minds be prepared for what you're going to give us. I pray as a church, Lord, that you would so strengthen us through what lies ahead as we continue the study of the book of Hebrews. I pray, Father, that you would thrill our hearts with the truths that we're going to discover. And I pray, Father, that we would have such, at the end of it all, such a reverence and standing. We would just stand in awe of your wisdom, of your grace, and just what you have done for us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, Father, we commit ourselves to you. We commit our hearts and our minds. And we pray, Lord, that you would work in each of us by your Spirit, day by day, bringing us to the place that you have predestined us to be, and that is conformed to the image of your Son. So, Lord, thank you for this time that we've had together today. Thank you, Father, for preparing us. Thank you, Father, for giving us the Scriptures. We treasure them. In Jesus' name, amen.